It's an evening of old-time radio. Obsession. are the slow poisons that saturate the most brilliant mind until it becomes dank and spongy, a cavern of foul and nauseous thoughts hidden away from the light of the sun, a secret place where no longer live the clean structures of love or honor or decency, as the twisting roots of destruction dig deeper and stronger interlocking like the fibers of some malignant cancer. And so, in just a moment, the story of the hangman starring Tom Conway. This is the story of the hangman, the hooded man skilled in the subtle arts of the hempen noose, the springer of the trap. In a small town in the south of England, in a wayside inn, a young man sits at a table, tense, expectant, obviously nervous, and even more obviously held in the vice of some strange and decidedly urgent obsession. Sit down. Oh, I'm sorry to be late. Have you been waiting long? Twenty minutes. What a change, Nelly. And Alice. She hasn't been feeling well. I couldn't get away. You mean you couldn't sneak away without her seeing you, isn't that it? No, darling. No, that's not true. There's no need to deny, Nelly. I'm aware that your aunt doesn't approve of me. Oh, it's not you personally, Oliver. It's just that, well, Aunt Alice is frightfully set in her ways. She believes that you should have a steady position. 
an income. Oh, I see. She prefers that I give up my painting, find a job as a day laborer, a three-pound-a-week clerk, or, or perhaps a newsbender. Yes, there's a nice steady position. Oliver, you're in another mood. Possibly. Oh, darling, darling, don't let's quarrel. It's such a beautiful day. Don't let's spoil it. I'm spoiling your day? Oh, forgive me. I didn't mean that. It's just, well, the things you say. I... What would you like me to say? Say that you understand. No, Nellie, I can't understand. There can never be an understanding at this rate. Meeting in dark corners, afraid we might be seen together as though we were criminals. I know, I know. Nellie, we could put an end to this deceit. We could. I've asked you many times before. I ask you again. Nellie, will you be my wife? Your wife? Yes. Oh, Oliver, I... I love you, Nellie. And I love you. You know that. Then... Yes, I'll marry you. Darling, let's leave here. I'll pay the tab and... Oh, uh, Nelly. Oh, well, of course, darling. Here's the money. And so, Nelly and I were married. In a little church just outside the village. Afterwards, we drove home in Nelly's car. She wanted to break the news to her aunt. Nellie was convinced that the old woman would feel differently toward me now that we were married. But she didn't. Her aunt wouldn't even see me. Well, we just had to make the best of it. Nellie had some money of her own, and so we bought a small house in Middleborough. It was a quaint little place, had an attic that we converted into a studio where I could do my painting. Nellie and I were very happy there for a time. Good afternoon, Mr. Copeland. Good afternoon, Mrs. Copeland. And how is my rising young artist coming with his work today? I've started my new and best painting, Nellie. Look, do you like it? Yes. Ah, though it seems a little... almost weird. Yes, yes, that, that's the way it was meant. I, I'm not nearly finished, of course. I, I'm just starting to sketch in the background. But it has life to it, hasn't it, Nellie? Yes, it has more than that. It frightens you a bit. Ah, then it must be good. I I hope to finish it in time to take it to the exhibit in London next month. Oh, uh, that reminds me, dear, I'll need some money. Oh, Oliver. Oliver, I've been meaning to tell you. Yes, dear? There isn't any more money. What was that you said? There isn't any more money. It's dwindled away steadily ever since we came here. You see, darling, I didn't have too much to begin with, and, and after buying this house... But I and... thought there was plenty... You led me to believe there was plenty. Oh, I didn't, Oliver. Really, I didn't. What are we to do now? Well, I've been thinking. I've been thinking perhaps Aunt Alice would be of help. Perhaps she'd change her mind about it if you'd find a position, darling, for just a little while. Till we can get straightened out again. You could still paint. I see. So you've turned against me, too. No, darling. No, certainly not. Oh, Oliver, it would only be for a few months. Only a few months? And what of the London exhibit in the meanwhile? I suppose you'd just as soon have me wait until next year to go. No, I want you to go. But I don't see how in the world we can possibly... Afford it? We'll afford it, all right. I'll get that money somehow. I'll get it. I was furious with her. She had led me to believe she was wealthy, and now... Now we'd come to this. I left the house and, and I walked. I, how far, I don't know. I, I had to think. 
my entire career might depend on my new painting in the London exhibit, I had to find a way to get that money. Then, that night, in our neighborhood, the thing started. The papers said that it happened close to 11 o'clock in the evening. A woman was walking home alone down Cedar Grove. Yes? Who's there? was found beneath a tree, stabbed to death, and her purse was gone. The following morning, Nelly and I had a caller. Someone at the door. I'll get it. Good morning, miss. Good morning. I'm Inspector Lamont, Scotland Yard. I've been called in by the local police for routine check-up in this neighborhood, and I... Who is it? The man from Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard? What's he doing here? Oh, please don't be alarmed, sir. Just a routine checkup. You see, we had a rather nasty bit of business in this neighborhood last evening. Oh, yes, you mean the killing on Cedar Grove? Yes. How did you know, sir? We were just reading about it. Oh. Well, I dropped in to ask you if you've noticed any strangers loitering around this district lately. No. No, I can't say that we have. I see. Well... Sorry to trouble you. Necessary thing, though, you know. Oh, of course. I certainly hope you find the guilty party. We usually do. Well, good morning. Good morning. That wasn't the last I was to see of Inspector Lamond. Nor was that the last murder... They began occurring with startling regularity. One, two in a week, right under the very noses of the police. Always in the same district. Always a woman. Dead to death, her purse gone. One morning, some ten days after the inspector's first visit, I was leaving the house when Nellie stopped me at the door. Oliver, Oliver, you won't be late tonight again. I might be. Why? Where do you go at night, Oliver? Why do you leave me alone? I told you, I walk. I enjoy walking. Why do you ask me ridiculous questions? I won't ask questions. I won't say a word. You'll only stay here with me at night. I'm frightened. These killings, they happen all the time now. And always right around us. Oh, really now, Nellie, you're acting like a child. I can't help it. I am, I, I'm, I'm frightened. Yes, yes, of course you are. I'm sorry. Oh, Oliver. No, 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 no tears. Look, I have a surprise for you, Nelly. Surprise? Yes, I, I was saving it, but here. Ten pounds? Where did you get it, Oliver? I uh, sold a painting. The one I call Blue Meadow. Uh, to an art dealer in town named of Dubois. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, well, the money's all yours, Nelly. I'll be home early. Good night. You come in. Thank you. What brings you by this morning? Mrs. Copeland, I'm afraid that I'm going to have to ask you some questions about your husband. My husband? What is it? Now, please answer carefully. These are some things I must know. I understand from the neighbors that you and your husband have been quarreling lately. 
Is that true? Well, we have our little difference. And your but... husband stays out evenings until quite late. Tell me, do you know where he goes, Mrs. Copeland? Yes, he uh, he goes walking. He likes to get out in the fresh air after painting all day. Oh, he's an artist? Yes. Does his profession afford him an adequate income? Well, wait. You're not thinking that my husband could have anything to I'm do with... I'm simply asking you some very important questions that you must answer. Does your husband have an adequate income? Well, we're, we're comfortable. Uh, then have you seen him with any extra money? Has he, uh, has he given you any? Well, come, come, has he? No. I see. Uh, well, thank you, Mrs. Copeland. Sorry to have troubled you again. Good day. Good day. The money for a painting. Yes, it was for a painting. Blue metal. Dubois. Dubois. Oh. C, 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 R, D, U. It is Dubois. Artilla. Nellie Copeland. Mrs. Nellie Copeland, yes? Yes, I'd like some information. Did you purchase a portrait from a Mr. Oliver Copeland titled Blue Meadow? Blue Meadow? Uh, was it an original work? Yes. Well, I could not have purchased it then. Are you sure? Positive. I have not bought an original art piece for over a year. Well, thank you. Oliver. Oliver! of the neighborhood murders strikes home now and a dark ugly cloud of fear and suspicion settles in the mind of Nellie Copeland her husband a murderer or could it be a mere coincidence there are reasons of course for suspicion the strange attitudes of her husband his unaccountable nocturnal meanderings through dark streets and the headlines of death in the mornings. These thoughts grow in the mind of Nellie Copeland, build, gather momentum, until they become solidified into a powerful obsession.
artist Copeland and his wife, Nellie, and the house of Middleborough that stands in the shadows of the hangman starring Tom Conway. Try as she may, Nellie Copeland cannot escape the secret dread that lurks in her heart as fact piles upon fact and the stern finger of suspicion points ever closer toward her husband, Oliver. Her husband that has changed so much as to be almost a stranger, living alone in a world of his own creating, a world seemingly filled by the apparitions of some inexplainable obsession. It was two days later. The London art exhibit was but a fortnight away, and my painting, my masterpiece, the one that Nellie had called rather weird, was almost completed. Then... A thought occurred to me. My London trip was to be a success. I should have to meet people of importance and influence, taking a social affair or two. And yes, I'd need more money. Where was I to get it? Then, suddenly I knew. It was all so very simple. Nelly? Yes, Oliver? Uh, Nelly, I've been thinking. I'll be off for London in a fortnight, and, uh, well, Nelly, with these uh, horrid Jack the Ripper sort of killings here in our neighborhood... I rather dislike the idea of leaving you alone. It would be very nice if you could have your aunt come and visit you. Aunt Alice? Yes. Inasmuch as I'll not be here, she should have no objection to accepting her niece's hospitality for a short while. I shall feel considerably more at ease, Nellie, if you would ask your aunt to come and stay with you. I'll write Aunt Alice and ask her to come. Thank you, Nellie. Nellie scribbled a note to her aunt. At my suggestion, she requested the old woman to come to Middlesbrough on the 15th. I was not due to leave for London until the 16th. But, of course, I couldn't tell Nellie that. We received a reply in the mail the following afternoon. Aunt Alice would come on the 15th at 6 p.m. I arrived at the station to meet her. The train from Cushing was on time. It uh, was going on eight when I returned home. Oh, oh, Oliver, I was wondering what kept you. I... Was that Alice? Isn't she here? Here? How could she be here? I thought you went to the train. Uh, yes, but I was late. I uh, had a bit of motor trouble. I didn't get to the station until half past six, and uh, she wasn't there. I uh, thought I'd missed her, but she'd come ahead to the house. Well, perhaps the train was late. Oh, no, I inquired. It was on time. Oh, Oliver, you don't think anything could have happened to her? Oh, of course not. It's very likely that she just couldn't get reservations on the evening train. It sometimes happens, you know. And so she's taken a later one. We had just finished our supper when the doorbell rang. It was the boy with the evening paper. Nelly went to the door. The boy it was quite late this evening. I thought it strange. Oliver! Oliver! Yes, Nellie, what is it? Oh, a special edition. They, they found the killer. What killer? Why, the one who's been committing all those murders in the neighborhood. Found him? Let me see that paper. Yes, Simon Reynolds, 34, arrested in Wales last night, gave police a full confession this morning for the middle of Jack the Ripper slayings. Wales. Wales, that... That's more than an overnight journey from here. Then he hasn't been in this vicinity for days. What, Oliver? Nothing, Nellie, nothing. Oh, oh, the phone, I'll get it. 
Hello? Hello, is this Mrs. Denny Copler? Yes. This is the Tupa Art Gallery. I am calling in reference to that painting you asked me about yesterday, the Blue Meadow. Yes? Well, we did purchase it after all. That is my associate did, and he forgot to tell me about it. I thought perhaps you'd like to know. Oh, yes. Yes, I, I, I do know. Everything's all right. Everything's just fine. Goodbye. You know, Oliver, I'm so happy. I'm so relieved. I just can't... Oliver? Oliver? Where is he? Oliver! It was awkward to leave the house that way, but I had much time. I drove over to a vacant lot on Charing Cross Road. Everything was as I left it. Nothing discovered. I decided to park the car in the alleyway in the rear of our house and wait until Nellie had gone to sleep. When the light in her room was finally turned out, I slipped in the house through the back door, went down into the cellar. I took every precaution so as not to awaken Nellie, but to no avail, she heard me from upstairs. Oliver? What do you want, Nellie? What are you doing down there, Oliver? I, uh... It's the hot water heater. It's broken. I was fixing it. But it's after two in the morning, Oliver. And if it is, I'll have to fix it sometime, won't I? I'll go back to bed. But I... Oh, Nellie, go back to bed. She did as I told her. That was one thing I liked about Nellie. Next morning, Nellie wanted to know where I'd been during the evening. She was more insistent than usual. Almost suspicious. But I finally managed to pass it off by mentioning that it was time for me to go to the railway station to see if her aunt had arrived. I got to the station rather early, 20 past nine. I went to the window and asked for my reservation on the London train. Then, as I turned to leave, I bumped into the man I least wanted to see. Good morning, Mr. Copeland. Oh, Inspector Lamont, good morning. Taking a trip? Yes, I'm going to London for the art exhibit. Really? Well, I'll be going to London myself this afternoon. Back to the yard now that all this nasty business is cleaned up. Yes, well, have a nice trip. Good morning. Good morning to you. Well... Rather unsociable fellow. Good morning, Mrs. Copeland. Oh, oh, good morning, Inspector. Will you come in? Thank you. I, uh, I ran into your husband at the railway station, and it reminded me that I had an apology to make. An apology? Yes. I do hope you don't feel too badly toward me for that last rather professional visit of mine, line of duty and all that sort of thing, you know. Of course, I understand. Fine, then. Uh, your husband tells me he's going to London. Yes, to the exhibit. He's going to enter one of his paintings. He's really a very good artist. <laughs> well, he certainly has the temperament. Do you know, I started to chat with him at the station and suddenly he just turned and went off in a huff and drove away in his car. Drove away? But it isn't even ten o'clock yet. Uh, I beg your pardon? You say he drove away? What time was it, Inspector? Oh, I should say a little before 9.30. But he went there to meet my aunt. We were expecting her on the 10 o'clock train from Cushing. Your aunt? Yes, she was really due in it last evening at 6. Oliver went to the station, but she wasn't there. Well, uh, haven't you telephoned your aunt to find out what the trouble was? Well, I, I thought to last night, but Oliver said she'd surely be in this morning, so there was no need to worry. And yet he left the station this morning without waiting. Isn't that rather odd, Mrs. Copeland? It is. Very. When did your husband return home from the station last night? Well, he was home for supper. It was around eight. 
And that... Oh. Yes? What is it? Go well, on. He went out again. He didn't come home until quite late. He wakened me when he came in. He, he was fixing our water heater in the cellar. Fixing a water heater in the cellar at that late hour? Mr. Copeland, I'd like to have a look at your cellar. Oh, it, it's right down here. Uh, perhaps you'd better wait up here, Mrs. Copeland. No, no, no. Please, I'll come. Very well. Everything appears to be in rather... I say, hold on a moment. What is it? Here. This section. It's freshly laying cement. Oh! Hand me that pick axe over there. Please, Mrs. Copeland. Here? Yes. Thank you. <coughs> Mrs. Copeland, look here, and please try to keep hold of yourself. I'm afraid that what you're going to see won't be very... Oh! Oh, no! Inspector Lamond, what are you doing here? I've been waiting for you, Copeland. Waiting for... The cellar door, it's open. Who's been... Your wife and I have been down there. You're under arrest, Copeland. Oh. So you know. Nellie, too? Yes. Why did you do it, Copeland? She was old and wealthy. She'd lived her life. Alive, she was of no use to anyone, but dead. Your wife would inherit her money and you'd benefit from it. Yes, but why the body in the cellar? <laughs> Unavoidable circumstances. After I did it, I left her body in a vacant lot on Charing Cross Road. I thought when it was discovered that her murder would be just another one attributed to our Jack the Ripper friend. Hmm. But, of course, when he was apprehended in Wales, well, my plans had to be altered. I see. Well, I think we'd best be getting along. Uh, uh, one moment... Uh, this portrait here, I should like to take it with me. May I? Well, I don't see why not. Take it. Thank you. Uh, I say the, the figure, the man is very well done, but the, the background. But why, isn't that a gallows you painted? Yes, it is. Oh, uh, and this really should give you quite a chuckle, Inspector. I call the portrait the hangman. <laughs> Present Suspense. Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Salud! Your health, senor. Roma Wines host the world. The wine for your table is Roma Wine, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is the man in black. Here to introduce this weekly half hour of Suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, we bring you in a dramatic role and in a character different from those you are accustomed to seeing him portray, Mr. Charles Ruggles. But before we raise the curtain on this evening's suspense play, here is a message from your host, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Distance lends enchantment, says the old proverb. And it seems borne out in this little episode that we might see taking place at the smart and handsome Pan-American Club, Havana, Cuba. An American visitor is amazed that his Cuban host can picture the marvelous climate and rich, fruitful soil of California without ever having been there. But the Cuban responds, One sip alone of wonderful Roma wine tells me all that. Only true perfection of climate and soil 
could produce the perfection of your splendid California wine, Roma Wine. That's so. And as Roma Wines become available to wine connoisseurs of more and more lands, the chorus of praise grows for the truly superb quality of these good Roma Wines. No wonder, then, these wine experts of other lands are so eager to import Roma Wines no matter what the distances from our own California. And no wonder, too, that these taste-delighting Roma wines, with no import duty to pay and without expensive shipping charges added to their cost here, are America's largest selling wines. With such richly rewarding enjoyment within your reach, why not get acquainted with your favorites among Roma wines' many different delightful wine types? Remember the name, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now with Dorothy L. Sayers' story, Suspicion, and with the performance of Charles Ruggles as Mr. Hubert Mummery, Roma Wines again hope to keep you in suspense. Mr. Mummery took the morning train down to business as he always did. He opened the door of his office, much as he always opened it, and saw his partner, Brooks, sitting at his desk as he always sat. And the world seemed perfectly orderly and dependable and sane. And then it began, very simply, out of a few chance remarks, the terror took shape and grew until it was a black mountain of fear and suspicion. Morning, Mummery. Pleasant morning, huh? Yeah? Oh, quite, quite, quite. I've been looking through some bank accounts. I've an idea they're trying to put us off until... Hubert Mummery, what's the matter with you? Yeah, with me? You gave me a start. Why, man, you're as white as a sheep. Oh, am I? Well, I, I'm not feeling quite myself this morning. Breakfast didn't agree with me. Oh. Didn't agree with me at all. Well, you'd better look after yourself. We're none of us as young as we once were. You know? Yeah, always had a beastly stomach, always. Well, I can't remember you having an attack like this in years, Mummery. Huh. That new missus of yours giving you proper food. Good, mild, digestible thing. No, <laughs> I'm afraid Ethel knows nothing at all about a kitchen. Well, that's what you get for marrying a girl without showing it to a friend. Doing it in such a rush, ten-day courtship, and at your age, Mummery. <laughs> well, you'll see why when you meet her. Besides, it doesn't matter in the least. After all, I was a bachelor up until a few weeks ago and rather used to taking care of myself, you know. Oh, my dear man, you're not telling me that you manage the household. Oh, hardly. No need for that. We've engaged a housekeeper who's a gem, really. Capable, motherly soul named Sutton. Ethel's delighted with her, and so am I. Well, Exceptional cook and all that. Well, that's excellent. We can all do that sort of thing, you know. I say you better take it easy and keep off your feet today. A man's health comes first, you know. Thanks, thanks. I'll be all right. I took one of my tablets on the train. Well, well if you need anything, you let me know, huh? Yes. Oh, by the way, Mummery, I uh, suppose your wife doesn't know another of those cooking gems, does she? Well, I don't know. They aren't so easy to find nowadays. <laughs> don't tell me your cook is leaving you. Oh, good Lord, Lord. No, no, no. Perish the thought. It's... It's for the Philipsons. Their girl is getting married. And... Yeah, well, always said marriage is the graveyard of good cooks. Uh, <laughs> positively, positively. You know, I, I think it should be a criminal offense for cooks to feel the mating urge. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Leaves the family high and dry. Yeah. You know, I said to Philipson, you mind what you're doing, I said. You get somebody you know something about, or you may find yourself landed with this poisoning woman. <laughs> What's her name? Mrs. Andrews? Carolyn Andrews? I don't want to be sending wreaths to your funeral yet a while, I said. <laughs> wasn't that a dreadful thing, though, that Andrew's case? Ethel read some of it to me out of the newspapers. My, my, 
gave me the cold horrors. Oh, that's a disgrace, I call it. Three people dead of poisoning, falling ill one by one, gradually getting worse and worse, and suddenly dying off like flies after a month or so of her cooking. Man. And all the police say is they think she's hanging around the neighborhood and may seek employment as a cook. As a cook. Now I ask you, puts us all in the shadow of the grave, doesn't it? Well, rather. Well, it's only to be hoped that they'll catch this charming Mrs. Andrews before she tries her arsenic seasoning on somebody else. And that's why I told Philipson to be careful about hiring a strange woman. Well, quite right, too. One well, can't be too careful about a thing like that. I'll ask Sutton if she knows of another cook as good as she is. You won't need worry about anyone she recommends. Oh, excellent. I, I, I suppose she's worked for the right sort of people, Mama. Uh, 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 right sort? Well, I imagine so. I, I don't know. Well, didn't she bring references? Why, yes, yes, she did. A great pile of them. Glowing ones, too. But I don't know. Ethel and I were so glad to get someone that we haven't bothered to look them up, really. Oh. Well, it's 10.30. I must get back to work. Um, uh, would you mind dictating a few letters, Mummery? Mm. Some dunners? Uh, I do it, but I've some bills to get out in the next room. All right, I'm glad to. Well, I'll have Penny take them down. Huh? Uh, Miss Penny, will you step in here a moment, please? Coming, Mr. Brooks. Oh. Now, don't exert yourself, old man, because... Oh, Penny, Mr. Mummery will give you some letters for our forgetful customer. Yes, sir. And I'll be in the next office if I'm needed, Marmory. And uh, and do ask that sterling cook of yours to find someone for poor Philipson, eh? I'll speak to Sutton as soon as I get home. Good man. You're looking a bit pale this morning, Mr. Marmory. Uh, yes, yes, I know. I, uh, let's get down to the letters, Penny, shall we? Yes, sir. Um, uh, dear sirs, unless payment on your account is immediately forthcoming, we must institute proceedings which... 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 Yes, sir. Which, uh, sir? Uh, 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 oh, I was thinking. Wonderfully clever how that Mrs. Andrews manages to get positions with respectable families. Wasn't nothing so clever about the last one, sir. No? No. She brought plenty of references. Glowing ones, too, the paper said. Where in the world would such a woman come by honest references? Oh, there wasn't no question of their honesty, Mr. Mummery. What do you mean by that? Oh, the poor deceased family was so glad to get someone that they never even bothered to look them up. Oh. Why, whatever is the matter, sir? Uh, Have I said something that I should... No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to go home, Miss Penny. I, I don't feel well. Not at all well. On the homeward-bound train, Mr. Mummery's mind kept up a continual flow of discomforting thoughts. Those references of Sutton's. How did he know, after all? Yes, Brooks was quite right. One can't be too careful. Be sure you get someone you know something about, or you may find yourself landed with this poisoning woman, this Mrs. Andrew. The pain in Mr. Mummery's stomach gave a sudden twinge. He gripped the edge of his seat. He had eaten too quickly. His breakfast had been too heavy. He must speak to Ethel about Sutton. Sutton! As he walked up the quiet street of the remote little country town, the well-known familiar landmarks looked somehow strange and menacing. He reached the house, walked up the path, and then something drew him round toward the back. Somehow, despite himself, he found himself opening the screen door of Sutton's kitchen. Miss Sutton. Oh, oh, Lord. Oh, sir. You did give me a turn, Mr. Mummery. I, 
Well, I, I was so tight enough waiting for the potatoes to boil that I I didn't hear the front door go at all, sir. Well, I used my key, Sutton. Where is Mrs. Mummery? Oh, the poor dear was feeling a bit sickish after breakfast this morning, hmm. and I, I might have lied down for a bit. She was looking so poorly. Ethel's sick. Ethel's never sick. I don't understand. Oh, it was uh, working about too much that done it, if you ask me. I... I told her to go light with it, but she's that restless she can't abide to be doing nothing. Where is she now? Well, that young Mr. Welbeck called by to get some flowers, she promised his mother, and he cheered her up a bit. She needed cheering, too, by the look of her poor lamb. Where are they, Sutton? They're having their tea in the garden. She's a deal better than she was, sir. A deal better. Well, I'm glad of that. I'll step out and have a word with her. Oh, uh, Mr. Mamre. Yes, before you go, I'd like to show you what I got for your dinner. Uh, but I, I... Just a moment, Mr. Mamrissa. There. Have a look at that. Uh, well, that, uh, that's steak and kidney pie, isn't it? You'll find it beautiful and light, sir. It's made with butter, it is. So you'll have no trouble at all digesting it. No, well, very good. And it's seasoned Something wonderful. Uh, uh, yes, I'm sure it's excellent. Well, I'll uh, I'll wander out and see Mrs. Mummery now, if you don't mind. Oh, by all means, sir. And uh, try to get up a good appetite for your dinner, won't you, Mr. Mummery? Yeah, I'll do my best. If, uh, thank you, certainly. Ethel. Oh, Ethel. Who's that? It's I, Tiddlywinks. Hubert. Oh, I wasn't expecting you so early. Oh, well, I quit before time. I didn't startle you, did I, Pat? Yes, you did. I'm sorry, I... I thought something was wrong. I don't like to be startled. Hello, Mummery. Well, hello, Wellbeck. I didn't see you. How are you? Oh, I'm all right, thanks. But I'm afraid I found Ethel feeling rather badly. Yes, Sutton told me. Are you better now, dearest? I'm feeling dreadfully upset. I'm steady. I suppose I'll be all right by morning. Do sit down and have your tea, too. Well, thank you. I need it. Biscuit? Are they good? Melt in your mouth. I'd devour the lot if I didn't have to be getting home to dinner. Oh, you're leaving? I must. Mother's waiting. I'll have the gardener wrap her flowers. Give me oh, no, no, don't bother. Well, no bother at all. Heaven knows he's paid enough for puttering about. Thomas! Uh, Thomas! Uh, uh, come in, ma'am. Is the tea still warm, dear? Uh, just right, thanks. Uh, you was calling me, Mrs. Mummery. Oh, Thomas, will you please wrap these flowers for me and bring them into the house? Uh, right on, ma'am. I'll take Mr. Welbeck to the door. Oh, no, don't bother to get up, dear. Just tell Mr. Welbeck goodbye and finish your tea like a good boy. Oh, yes, indeed. Keep your seat. Well, uh, do come and see us soon again, won't you, Welbeck? Love to. But I can't leave Mother alone very often. She's extremely nervous lately. Terribly so. Oh, that's too bad. She's not really been herself since... Well, since that Andrews poisoning business started in the newspapers. Alarmed her more than you believe. Yes, well, it's rather unnerved everyone, if you ask me. I, I do hope they catch her soon. They may. What do you mean? There were a couple of blokes from Scotland Yard in the village this morning. Rumor is, they've got a new line on Mrs. Andrews. <laughs> it's time they had. Think of it. That fiend has been on the loose for... Well, let's see now. Exactly one, two, three, four... Yes, almost four weeks to the day. I'd rather not think about it if no one minds. You're quite right, my dear. Let's not. Let's not. I have too many other things on my mind. Oh, by the way, Hubert... Hmm? I forgot to tell you to bring some cash home from the city with you today. I know you did, Diddly Wings, but I remembered it all by myself. Oh, a good thing, too. The greengrocer had a rather glum look on his face this morning. Well, we'll be able to stare him in the eye tomorrow. 
And then there's Sutton's salary. Hmm? Well, I'm not sure I brought enough for that. I... Oh, that's too bad. I do so want to be prompt with her. Prompt? Yes, dear. Sutton's been with us exactly one month tonight. I, uh, must drop along now. See you soon again, Mummery. I, I say thanks for the tea. <clears throat> Hubert, what's the matter? Mr. Welbeck said thanks for tea. Didn't you hear? Huh? Uh, oh, oh, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. You seem so far away, dear. No, not at all. Not at all. I was a bit tired, I suppose. <laughs> Let the old gent rest his weary bones. He's worked much too hard lately. Come along, Mr. Welbeck. I'll do the honors for the family. Coming. Four weeks. Exactly one month. Oh, sir, the, the Mrs. Winesome Zenius for the bouquet, and I just found a little patch in the back bed. I thought they... Uh, uh, Thomas. Thomas, do we have any old newspapers about? Old newspapers? Mm. Why, yes, sir. There's a stack of them in the greenhouse. I was just going down to get some to wrap up this bouquet. Uh, what would you be needing them for, sir? I want to look up some photographs, Thomas. Photographs? Of who, sir? Of Mrs. Andrews. <laughs> Here they be, sir. They go back about 20 days, these do. I always take them out of the kitchen when the cook is finished with them. I see. Now, let's have them, Thomas. Hmm. Now then. June 15th. June 5th. Yes, that was just about the time. Should be an article about Mrs. Carolyn Andrews in this one. Of course, she'll have managed to change her appearance, but there should be a resemblance. Now, let's see. Ought to be about on... Thomas. Yes, sir? Where did you say you got these papers? Out of the kitchen, sir. Why, uh, what is it, Mr. Mummery? Somebody's been through them with a the scissors, Thomas. Every line about the Andrews case has been clipped out. Every line. Mr. Mummery, sir. Oh, now look for yourself. There, 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 there. Uh, but, but, but I don't understand it, do you, sir? I'm afraid to try, Thomas. Are there any more papers about? Uh, there's a few more under the shelf where I keep them. Oh, moderation. Look at that. Meddlers, that's what they are. Meddling with my scenes. Don't waste time with that now, Thomas. But look at it, sir. All spilled and wasted. It costs good money, too. Well, all right. We'll buy more of whatever it is. Only a bit left. And it ain't so easy to get, I'll tell you. It's just about the best weed killer there is. Them weeds just fold up and die the minute it touches them. If somebody hadn't tampered with the stopper, there wouldn't have been a drop lost. Thomas. Yes, sir? Let me see that can. Yes, sir. Arsenical weed killer. Contains arsenic. Deadly poison. <laughs> Stopper was loose, sir. Somebody had it out. I never leaves like that. Nothing like uh, that. Thomas. Thomas. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, oh, good Lord, Mr. Mummery, what is it, sir? I... I don't think I should have had that tea, Thomas. Oh, oh, I'll call the missus. No, 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 no. You mustn't alarm her. Whatever you do, don't alarm her. She's not to be excited. But get to the phone and call Dr. Maysby. I... I'm ill, Thomas. Tell him I'm terribly ill. <laughs> Is he, Dr. Minsby? How is he? Uh, now, now, then, Mrs. Mummery, he's not so bad as all that. He's really far better than he was last night. Decidedly. Yes, the patient is somewhat improved, aren't you, Mummery? Well, I'm feeling quite all right, Ethel. I shouldn't be surprised if I lived after all. My <laughs> poor darling, you gave me such a fright. Did I? Little wonder. Symptoms were rather alarming. Whatever on earth could it have been, Dr. Minsby? He was suffering so dreadfully last night. Of course, those powders you gave him quieted him a bit, but 
He did seem to be in such agony. Well, I really can't say precisely what it was. I could pretend to know, but frankly, I don't, Mrs. Mummery. I haven't the proper equipment here for a real diagnosis, but I'd venture an old-fashioned, non-scientific guess that it was a touch of common garden domain. Yes, yes, that's what it was, Ethel. I'm sure of it. Tomorrow or next day, when he's quite well, mind you, I'd like to have you have him come down to the office in Berridge for a thorough examination. Do you hear that, dear? You must make him promise to come, Doctor. He's so very careless about himself. He'll come. This episode gave him a bit of a start, I think. Nothing like a touch of tomain to make a man health conscious, eh, Mummery? Well, you're right, Doctor. You'll see me very soon, I promise. Excellent, excellent. And uh, until then, you just continue the powders I gave you, one every hour. Yes, Doctor. And no solid foods. Have that cook of yours make you a nice strong broth of some kind. Huh? Right. And above all, stay in bed for the next 24 hours. I'll see to that, Dr. Lane. I'm depending on you, Mrs. Mummery. And uh, now, if you will tell me where you put my hat... Well, I'll uh, get it for you. Oh, you needn't trouble. You just tell oh, me no where... Oh, no trouble at all. It's out on the sandport. So, Mummery, do try to take better care of yourself from now on, huh? No need to make Ethel the widow before her time. Well, I'll do my best not to. Uh, uh, Dr. Maysby. Uh, what's that, Mummery? Listen to me. I haven't time to explain now. What are you talking about? Keep your voice down, man. I don't want to frighten Ethel... But there's something very strange going on in this house. You are delirious. I may need your help soon. I'll phone you sometime today as soon as I can do it without alarming Ethel. Oh, she wouldn't be able to sleep for weeks if she had any inkling of what's going on. You aren't imagining things, are you? No, no, listen, Maysby. Last night before I took sick, I found... I well, well, Sutton? <clears throat> yes, Sutton, what is it? Uh, Mrs. Mummer has sent me to tell you that your chauffeur brought the car around, sir. Oh, yes, yes, uh, good. I'll, I'll be getting along now, I think. Oh, sir. If I'm not being too inquisitive, sir, how is the patient this morning? Why, uh, he's much better, Sutton, but he had a rather grim session of it, just the same. Oh, that's dreadful, ain't it, sir? We'll have to take better care of him, won't we, sir? Much better care. I'm tempering around my greenhouse, will they now? Upsetting my things. Oh, will they now? Not much they won't. I'll put a lock on this door that... Thomas, Thomas. Who's that? Why, Mr. Mummish? You ain't supposed to be up and about, are you? You're supposed to be in your bed, ain't you, sir? I want to get those papers we were looking at yesterday, Thomas. Does the missus know you're walking around out here? Sir, I'll be bound the missus We'll don't... keep this a secret from the missus, Thomas. You'll get your death, Mr. Mummery. If I lie upstairs in bed all day, the whole Mummery family will get its death. Now, where are those papers? Well, they're just inside the door there where you left them, sir. Just inside the door. Huh. Now, let's see. Now, where was it? Uh, right about there, sir. No, it wasn't. Uh, in a little further... Now, do you left. Huh. All right. Uh, there they are, sir. They're, well, if they are, I've been struck blind. There's nothing here but the stone floor and a box of tulip bulbs. You must be wrong, sir. All right. Well, come and look and see here. Yes, sir. Still memory. Well, they're gone. What do you know? I'm not at all sure what I know, but I'm going to find out. You come with me, Thomas. You ought to be in your bed, all sir. All right. I ought to be in my bed, sir. Come along, will you? Yes, sir. Where is Sutton? I don't know, sir. Oh, yes, on second thoughts, I do know. I saw her going down to the greengrocer's to pay the bill. When she passed me, I heard her muttering something about not wanting anybody to come prying about her kitchen. 
The missus is particular. Yeah, doesn't want us in the kitchen, huh? <laughs> no, I guess not. Well, that's where we're going right now. I don't think she'd like it, No, sir. I'm sure she wouldn't, Thomas. Come along in. All right, sir, if you say to, sir. Now, now let's see, where could they be? You ain't expecting to find them papers in here, are you, sir? I was, Thomas. Is it possible that I'm mistaken? No, I'm not. Now, where could... The stove. That's where they'd be. That's just where the... Uh-huh, just as I thought. Have a look inside, Thomas. There they are, or what's left of them. Somebody kindled quite a little blaze with your old newspapers, wouldn't you say? No, sir. You should have been a detective. Yes, I always rather thought so myself. Well, the papers are done for. By Jove, she's a clever one, all right. Doesn't miss a trick. We're dealing with a very cautious, very thorough woman, Thomas. And I shouldn't be a bit surprised if... Well, are you listening to me? Thomas, what are you staring at? Mr. Mamory, what's that on the windowsill? On the wind... The weed killer. The arsenical weed killer. It's found its way into the kitchen. The stopper's off again, ain't it, sir? Right, the stopper's off and it's nearly empty. Thomas, what's in that pot on the stove? I don't know, sir. Well, look and see. Yes, sir. It's chicken broth, sir. Real strong chicken broth. Good. Here, here, here. Now take this empty medicine bottle and get as much broth into it as it'll hold. What for, sir? Just do it, Thomas, please. Uh, yes, sir. That's fine. Now then, get the car out of the garage. Where are we going, sir? We're going to Berich. But, Mr. Mummery, the doctor... We're going to see the doctor, Thomas, before we're all beyond his help. <laughs> to kept you waiting so long, Mummery, but it's quite a lengthy oh, process. Oh, I don't mind the waiting, Doctor. It isn't that, but Ethel's there alone in the house with her, and I want to know. I can tell you now. You've finished? I've analyzed every drop of the contents. Used Marsh's test for arsenic. I'm able to tell you a very definite answer, my boy. Uh, what, what is it, Maysby? Yes. You mean there is arsenic in that broth? And suddenly... I mean that broth is chock full of arsenic. Mrs. Andrews is taking no chances this time. There's enough poison there to kill your entire household. Oh, Mr. Mummery, look, you're hitting 70, you are. It ain't safe at all, sir. I've got to get home. I've got to get home. Lord knows what's happening there. Oh, Mr. Mummery. Shut up. Ethel is poisoned, dying dead. Ethel is poisoned, dying dead. I patched the front right arm myself, sir, and it's fearful weak it is. Sutton, Mrs. Andrews, Sutton, Mrs. Andrews, Sutton, Mrs. Andrews, Sutton, Mrs. Andrews. Oh, thank the Lord, there's the ass. What's that car doing in front of it? Uh, What's it doing there? I don't know, sir. It's happened already. The doctor's there. It's happened already. The doctor's there. It's happened already. It... The doctor's there. standing out in front of the ass, Mr. Manley. <laughs> Oh. oh, it's my fault. I did it. It's my fault. I left her here. I did it. I killed her. Oh, Mr. Mummery, sir. Oh, Ethel. 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 Ethel, where is she? Well, back. what are you doing here? I'm Scotland Yard, Mummery. Easy now. Take it easy. Well, where is she? Tell me. I have a right to know. Who is the inspector? I'm Hubert Mummery. Where's my wife? Now, try to be calm, Mummery, won't you? That's a good fellow. What now. do you mean? Why are you sitting down here? Is she... Is she beyond help? I'm afraid she is, sir. Oh, Lord. Oh. Can I see her? I'm afraid not, Mummery. 
totally be painful. Oh, Lord. But that Mrs. Andrews, though, you've got her. She didn't get away. No, we've got Mrs. Andrews right enough. Oh, Ethel. You see, officer, we've only been married ten weeks. Ten weeks yesterday, I... Sudden. Sudden. Yes, Mr. Mumley. I'm very sorry about things. Sorry for you, sir. Mm, sorry for me. That's good. Well, it's too late now. Well, take her away. Take her away. Oh, Mr. Mumley, I'm so take sorry. Take her away. You'd better go, Sutton. Go ahead. He's upset, of course. Wants to be alone. Oh, you see, Mrs. Mumley and I were in desperate need of a cook. But it's just as I said to Brooks. One can't be too careful about taking a strange person into the house. Why, well, I didn't even suspect her until yesterday. I had no idea there were... Go! Are you letting her go? Well, you can't let her go. That's Mrs. Andrews. Don't... Oh, please, This sir. broth, it's chock full of arsenic. I didn't have no end in that broth, sir. It was mine while I was at the green grocer. You can't let her go. Why, this... And I didn't make the tea yesterday, nor your breakfast yesterday morning. So help me, Mr. Mumler, sir. I didn't. I didn't. Ethel. Oh, Ethel, my darling. I thought you were... Oh, are you all right, Ethel? I... Ethel, dear, what is it? I overheard what you said you told Brooks about taking a strange person into your house. You were right, you know, Hubert. Well, I, 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 I don't understand. Ready? Quite. Come along, then. Ethel! Well, not Ethel, really, sir. Carolyn would be more like you. Yes. And by the way, you're forgetting a rather important little formality, aren't you? Eh? Oh, Yes. Sorry, Mumray. Carol Andrews, I arrest you for murder in the name of the king. So closes Suspicion, presented by Roma Wines and starring Charles Ruggles. Tonight's tale of Suspense. In just a moment, we will hear again from Mr. Ruggles. First, a message from the sponsor of Suspense. Why is the making of good wine like a proverb? Because both are based on long experience. For you to enjoy the many different taste-delighting Roma California wines, first there had to be long years of painstaking cultivation of some of the world's finest vineyards. Plus, year upon year of development of the art and skill that go into the making of these fine Roma wines. Your first sip of any of the good-tasting Roma wines will confirm the presence of these needed years of preparation. Will tell you why Roma wines are America's largest selling wines. Your taste will thrill to the superb quality and the downright satisfaction when you try, say, the tangy, delicious Roma sherry or the rich, hearty Roma Burgundy, or the sweeter, heavier Roma Port. You'll be thrilled, too, when you learn such great enjoyment costs so little, mere pennies a glass. You'll want to add your voice to the international praise of Roma wines now rising in many lands. In these words, Roma wines are truly magnificent. Let me repeat the name. R-O-M-A. Roma wines. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now, here is Charles Ruggles. Thank you, thank you. Well, it was a great pleasure for me to appear on Suspense this evening, and I'll be listening next week, as I hope you will, when Faye Bainter and a distinguished Hollywood cast will be starred. And one more word. As the enemy's desperate resistance grows greater, 
make sure that our fighting men suffer no lack in their need for more of the weapons of war. Buy more war bonds. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. Don't forget then, next Thursday, same time, Faye Bainter and other stars in Suspense. Presented by Roma Wine. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Let every go signal remind you that you do go farther with signal gasoline. The Signal Oil Program, bringing you another strange tale by The Whistler. Tonight, the story of a weird game of murder, of a threat which brought the deadly answer, not if I kill you first. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. But first... I'd like to take a moment to tell you about Joe Jager's signal gasoline station in Oakland, California. It's busy as a beehive, hours before most alarm clocks begin to jingle. Joe opens his signal station at the cold gray hour of 4.45 to get ready for early morning defense workers. Because, as Joe puts it, their jobs are helping win the war, and I'm glad to serve them. During the day, Joe finds time for another unusual service. Many servicemen's families don't have cameras. So with his fine speed graphic, Joe takes pictures of them for mailing to their men overseas. Well, we can't expect all signal dealers to open at 445 and take pictures for servicemen, as Joe Jager does. But every signal dealer has his own way of delivering extra services, even these days. That's because signal gasoline dealers don't operate just for today. With them... Serving you is their permanent business, and will be through years to come. They know your car needs even better service today, when it must last out the duration and parts are hard to get. That's why friendly signal dealers give the thorough, conscientious kind of service you can depend on. And that's why more and more drivers are finding out that, to make your present car go farther, a mighty good man to know is your neighborhood signal gasoline dealer. And now, The Whistler. You probably didn't notice the item in your morning paper. It wasn't very prominent. Just a squib on the sixth page about another jewel robbery. $50,000 in sparklers missing from one of the homes out on the hill. Not much of a story because there doesn't seem to be any mystery about it. As the chief of detectives told the reporters, Simple as ABC. We knew it was in, an inside job because there's no sign of forced entry. Whoever did it got in the house with an ordinary house key. And not only that, but we found a screwdriver under a chair. It matched up with the marks on the jewel drawer where he jimmied it open. And that screwdriver 
came out of one of the family cars. So we start looking around. There's a maid, cook, chauffeur gardener. We look up their records, found out this chauffeur is an ex-con. Served two terms for burglary. And there you are. He wasn't very smart. Yes, it was very simple, wasn't it, officer? It makes no difference that the ex-con turned chauffeur swore he had nothing to do with it. Swore to you he's been trying to go straight. No, you're convinced. Only maybe if you knew what I do, officer, you might not be so certain. If you could see the little room over on First Avenue where young, tough Sammy Copeland is waiting for a business partner, pacing the floor, peeking out around a drawn blind, getting nervous... Maybe you'd be interested in the conversation when his business partner arrives. Albert Easley, cheap, dapper, and proud of it. Okay, Sammy, relax. Oh, it took you long enough. Where you been? I said relax. You're in the big time now. You can't just dump $50,000 in hot rocks like your pawn watch. It takes a little time, some diplomacy. You have to sit down and chat with the fence so I'll be sociable. Here, pull up a chair. Nuts. The main thing is, did you get it? It's all here, right in the briefcase. How do you like it? Yeah. Yeah, look at it. 50,000 clams. 50,000? Shows you're inexperienced, son. There's only 30,000 here. 30? But you said those rocks was worth 50. The paper this morning Sure, sure, sure. But you don't think your fence will give you the full value on hot rocks? He's taking a risk, too. He's got to have some profit. We got 30 for him. Oh, yeah? How do I know that? What do you mean? I mean, how do I know you ain't got the other 20 catched out somewhere? Listen, Squirt, you trust me. See, that's how you know. Now, relax, like I said, and be a good boy. You got nothing to worry about as long as you stick with me. Now I'll count out your 15,000. I want more than that. I want 25. What? And leave me only five? That's a fine way to treat a partner. I don't care about you. I want what's coming to me. You'll get it and no more. We split this 50-50. Why should we? Why should you get half? I did the job. I went in and got the stuff. I took all the risk. All you did was sit here and wait for me. Is that so? All I did is sit here and wait for you. Why, you runny-nosed little brat. Who do you think those you're thinking for you? How far do you think you'd get with that stupid brain of yours? I don't need you. No? How much of this 30000 do you think you'd have now if it wasn't for me? I'll tell you, not one cent. Who found out about the jewels in the first place? Me! Who cased the joint and found out about the chauffeur being the next con? Who swiped his screwdriver to plant on the scene? Who figured out every angle to make this one of the neatest jobs ever pulled in this burg? Uh, you'd be so stinking hot with the police right now if it hadn't been for me, you'd never even be able to cash the rocks in. And now don't give me any more of this stuff. Now, listen, Easley, I'm sick of you playing a big shot. Maybe you did do all the thinking up to now. But maybe now it's my turn. I've taken 25 of that pile, and you ain't got nothing to say about it. Why, you... Well, you little rat. You'd pull a rod on me. Yeah, and I know how to use it, big shot. Now get counting. 25 for me... Five for you. How do you like that? Is that a way to treat a pal, Sammy? I'm no pal of yours, big shot. I can take care of myself. Okay, okay. It's 25 for you and five for me. Only if you're so smart. Why not take the whole thing? I might do that. Okay, then here, take it. Hey, what the... Now drop that rod. That's better. I'll just keep this little rod for souvenir. Why, you jerk. Yes, that'll teach you not to play rough with Albert easily. You see, Sonny, you're not as smart as you thought. I'm always just a little bit smarter. Now get up and beat it. Go on. What about my money? Oh, you're so impulsive. I don't think you better have so much money around loose, Sammy. 
Maybe I better keep it for you. Till you grow up a little. Come around sometime when you've learned not to be a double-crossing baby. I'll kill you, Weasley. So help me, I'll kill you. Sure, sure. I'm scared to death. You will be before I'm through, I promise you. Okay, okay, we'll get going before I take you over my knees. You better order your flowers now, big shot. Because I'll get you if it's the last thing I do. Okay, go ahead and try it, Sammy. But just remember, two can play that game. I could plug you now if I felt like it. But I'll outsmart you at that game, too. We'll see about that. Just remember, Reasley, I'm going to kill you. Not if I kill you first, Sammy. Okay, fair enough. So long, Easley. Pleasant dreams. Well, now, a pleasant pair, don't you think? The kind who make a game of murder and may the best man win. Winner gets the 30 G's. Loser gets six feet of mud in his face. But then Albert the Big Shot isn't worried yet. Maybe he didn't take Sammy seriously at first. But then that afternoon, something Herald, happened. Herald, paper, allies, Vance on Rhine, read all about it, paper. Well, hello there, Sonny, I'll have one. Well, hi, Mr. Easley. Here you are. Thanks, honey. Well, keep the chain. Good night. Gee, thanks, Mr. Easley. Hey, Mr. Easley, look out, look out. Jiminy, Mr. Easley. That was a close one. That guy looked like he was almost trying to hit you. Yeah. Yes, he wasn't fooling. Huh? Uh, thanks, honey, for yelling at me. Guess I'll have to be more careful crossing streets after this. Yes. Now you realize this is a pretty deadly game you're playing, don't you, Albert? You know, it's just possible this kid Sammy might outsmart you. He might get you. He may get sent up for it. But he'll stalk you through the streets like an animal until he gets his chance. Yes, maybe you better figure something out, Albert. Do a little thinking about it. Talk it over with somebody. Dolores, maybe. She can keep your secrets okay, as long as you're spending the heavy sugar on her. Sure, talk it over. I'm not worried, you understand. Yeah, I can see that. I'm not a common gunman. I live by my brain. Albert, stop pacing up and down. You're getting yourself all upset. Besides, it's four in the morning and I have to go home. Upset? Well, who wouldn't be upset? Everywhere I go, the guy's on my tail. I can't go out in the street. It's like I've been waiting in the doorway. Go to my favorite restaurant, I see him sitting there through the window waiting for me. He's everywhere. You're afraid of him, aren't you? Afraid? No, I'm not afraid of him. Okay, so you're not afraid of him. Why not let me go get some tickets to Miami? You need the rest. No, I'm staying here. And get this straight. I'm not afraid of him. Maybe he is out to get me. So what? He's not smart enough. Look at that car trick. That's stupid. Not going to get me with tricks like that. I've got nothing to worry about. Okay. Now, how about taking me home? It's too late. I need some sleep. You'll take my car. The keys are there on the table. <laughs> okay, Sir Lancelot. But don't forget, you're no safer right here than you would be taking me home. Shut up. Okay. Okay, sugar. I'm just kidding. I don't suppose you can spare the time to see me to your penthouse door. You know the way. That's what I thought. Well... My mother told me there'd be nights like this. Anyway... Wait a minute. What is it now? Shut up. You hear anything? Hear anything? No. What? Well, I don't know. It's just noise. Now he's hearing things. Shut up! There. Yeah, I did hear something. What was it? How should I know? But there's somebody up here on the roof outside my apartment. Maybe it's only the wind. The wind. Listen. Yeah. There's somebody walking around out there. Turn up that light. Hurry. Okay. 
Quiet. Don't move. Sugar. I, I see it. A shadow on the window. He's at the door. He's trying to open it. I'll get him. All right, put up your hands. Oh, oh please, please, don't shoot, don't shoot. It's me, O'Brien, the night janitor. O'Brien? Yes. Turn on the lights, Dolores. Yeah. Oh, yes, it's me, Mr. Easley. Oh, for the love of heaven, don't shoot. Ryan, what are you doing up here? Well, somebody left the skylight open and I come up to shoot it. I, I saw a light here and then it went off and I just thought I'd better try your door to see nobody get in. I I didn't mean to frighten you, Mr. Easley. It's all right, O'Brien, it's all right. Go on, forget about it. Here's a little something for your trouble. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> O'Brien the janitor. <laughs> you see, we've been worried about shadows. Well, maybe you can laugh, but I've got the jitters good. I need a drink. Okay, you know where to find it. I'm going to bed. O'Brien. <laughs> I should have known. Sammy's not smart enough to try to get me here in the apartment. But hey, don't you want to join me in a drink? No, no, thanks. This bedroom's the last stop for me tonight. <laughs> I think I'm going to get the best night's sleep I've had in a long time. You know, Dolores, I'd bet... Dolores, come here. Where are you? Oh, in the bedroom. Well, what's the matter? What do you just stand there for? Look, the bed. <gasps> Albert, what is it? A knife, big enough to split a skull. A knife? What's it doing sticking in your bed? It was thrown there, probably through that window. Somebody who thought I'd be there, asleep. That's why the skylight was open. He came up here. Yes. There's no imagining this. Sammy wasn't kidding. He wasn't kidding. Oh, they got me. Yeah. And you're not afraid, are you, sugar? You are listening to the Signal Oil Program. Let every go signal remind you that you do go farther with signal gasoline. Now you know, don't you, Albert? There's no telling yourself it might not have been Sammy. You know now that he does mean to kill you. Unless you can kill him first. And now you've got to think. Think hard to figure out a way to outwit him. You won't have much time. Maybe his next attempt will be more successful. And it might come any time. Any time. Hosea? It's me, Dolores. Okay. Whew. Got this place closed up tighter in a jail. Why not open a few windows? It's stuffy. Never mind. I like it this way. Okay, but in broad daylight... I said I like it this way. Okay, don't snap at me. I brought your paper. Figured you wouldn't want to walk down the corner for it. Thanks. I was down at the station today. Priced two tickets to Miami. We can get reservations Thursday. I said I wasn't going anywhere. Okay, no harm in just pricing tickets, is there? Bring cigarettes? Yeah. Right here. Oh... While I was down there in the district around the station, a very funny thing happened. I thought I saw you. Very funny. You know I've been here all day. I know, I know, but that's why it was so funny. This guy looked exactly like you. What? Huh? He fooled even me. I walked right up to him and said, Well, Sugar, what are you doing down here? And then I see by the way he looks at me, it wasn't you at all. It was some other guy. Oh. 
You've got a double running around town. Very funny. Think what a mistake a girl could make in a situation like hey, that. Hey, hey, wait a minute. You're not exaggerating, Dolores. You mean this guy really could have been me? Fooled you completely? I went right up to him and spoke to him. I don't know what he could have thought of me, but I nearly slapped his face for the look he gave me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that gives me an idea. What's the idea I've been waiting for? It's made to order. What do you mean? Why, don't you get it? I got a double. There's two Albert Easleys. Well, that's what I've been telling you, Sugar. Only his name isn't Albert Easley. It's Parker. Parker. I heard the fruit man on the corner say good afternoon, Mr. Parker, to him when he went by. Oh, Dolly, it's perfect. A perfect alibi. I don't get it. Oh, never mind now. Say, where did you see him? Down on 14th Street near the station. And he seemed to be known around there? Well, the fruit man said... Okay, okay, baby, take it easy. I'll be back sometime this afternoon. Where are you going? Down to 14th Street to look up an alibi. Now, this is more like it, Albert. Now you've got an idea. That brain of yours is going full tilt, and you've got a feeling you're just about to outsmart Sammy, but good. You're down on 14th Street, passing the fruit stand when... Hello there, Mr. Parker. Can I sell you some nice fruit today? I beg your pardon? Oh, we got us some nice apples. The kind of you like. I, uh, I thought you called me Mr. Parker. Why, sure. What else should I call you? Well, my name's not Parker. Say, wait a minute. You are not the Mr. Parker, are you? No. You talk like him, a little older, maybe. And you sure look like him. A dead ring. Only your suit is a different. You mean I've got a double around oh, here? You sure have a mister. Bill Parker. He lives right down the street there in Mrs. Humphrey's boarding house. Uh, you sure you ain't his twin brother? Well, I'm afraid not. You see, I haven't got a brother. But you know, I I'd certainly like to see this guy. You suppose he's home now? No, I'm a pretty sure he's a not. He always goes down to the theater district in the afternoon. He's an actor. Uh, between the engagements, you might say. Oh, I see. Well, thanks a lot. Maybe I'll look up this Bill Parker. I'd, I'd like to see a guy who looks just like me. Yes, you'll look him up all right, Albert. You hang around his street all day watching for him. Finally, he comes home, and you get a good look at him from across the street. But it's not enough. You're there the next day when he goes out, and again when he comes back. And the next day, you notice everything about him. It's easy to find out how he talks. Just question some of the people along the street. People who are surprised that you're not Parker. Then, to make doubly sure, you take the final step. Try it once. Oh, just for a minute, Mrs. Humphreys. I forgot something. Run up to my room for a second. Well, here you're forgetting your key. What? Oh, yes. I, I forgot I left it with you. Well, Mr. Parker, you always leave it with me. Uh, what? Oh, yes, so I do. Uh, uh, did you get to see Mr. Silver, the producer? No, not yet. Oh, dear. I do hope he'll see you. I know how much you're counting on that part, Mr. Parker. And we're all pulling for you. Sure, and I lit a candle for you this morning. Thank you, Mrs. Humphreys. <laughs> so it's sure to happen today. And you won't forget dinner tonight. We're going to have potteros. But, Mrs. Humphreys, I... No buts about it. You've got to get some meat on your bones. One hot meal a week isn't too much. We'll be expecting you at six now, Mr. Parker. All right. Hmm. <laughs> it's a cinch. A cinch, sure. Even his landlady, who sees him every day, didn't suspect you weren't Parker. A few minutes in his room, and now you're ready. 
You get Dolores and give her the setup. Bound to work. It's beautiful, a perfect alibi. Look, Sammy's going to be at Charlie's Club tonight. I plug him on the data eight, and at exactly the same time, Albert Easley walks into the hotel commodore five miles away. Only it isn't Albert Easley. That's right. It's Bill Parker. Well, nobody's going to know that. Hey, one thing. How do you get Parker to show up at the hotel commodore on the data of eight? That's where you fit in, baby. Oh? See, this Parker's an actor. Trying to get a part from him, Mr. Silver. It's his only chance. He's been starving to death. Okay, you get on the phone, call Mrs. Humphreys. Tell her to have Parker at the Hotel Commodore on the dot of eight to see Mr. Silver in his room about the part in his new play. Your silver secretary. But don't worry about Parker. He'll show up okay. <laughs> I'm trying to see Silver for a week. Oh, I get it. But what happens when he shows up there and there's no Mr. Silver? Well, you just figure somebody made a mistake. Maybe try some other hotels. But the desk clerk will remember what he looks like and when he came in. He'll identify me when the cops ask him, and Parker will never let me about it. Sounds pretty good. It's foolproof. I thought of every angle. I even went through his closet and, and, and bought suits that look just like his. I'll have them in my wardrobe so one of them will check with Parker's description at the hotel. Oh, baby, I figured everything out. Nothing can go wrong. Yeah. Maybe you're smarter than I thought. Smarter than Sammy thought. And all I got to do is call this guy on the phone, huh? That's all. Then tonight... A few minutes before 8, you take my car, park it in a red zone in front of the Commodore, and get out quick without anybody seeing you. In a red zone? But you'll get a ticket. Oh, dear, that's just the idea. At 8 o'clock, the cop on the corner makes his last checkup on parked cars. I checked up on that. After I plug Sammy, I race uptown in a cab, pick up the car, have a traffic ticket in my pocket, dated 8 o'clock in front of the Commodore. <laughs> just another piece of my alibi. That's pretty clever. Sure, that's what I've been telling you. Albert Easley's a smart guy. A very smart guy. Yes, you're a smart guy, all right, Albert. It's all figured out. Dolores makes the call. Parker will be there. She drops you down near Charlie's club and goes on to park the car. You sneak in the back way, up the hall. The door's ajar. There's Sammy, sitting there, half-facing you. He's grinning about something, looking satisfied. You'll soon fix that. Yes, you wiped the grin off his face, and nobody saw you. You're out the back way before anybody has the sense to look for you. Into a cab, hurrying uptown, to the Commodore. Yes, there's your car. And even before you get to it, you can see the traffic ticket fluttering from the windshield. Everything's okay. It's perfect. Yes, perfect. You're home now, in your dressing gown. The traffic ticket on the table. The suits that look like Parker's hanging in the closet. You're just waiting for the cops. And you don't have long to wait. Yes? Uh, you Albert Easley? Yeah. I'm from headquarters. Oh, come in. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Okay, go ahead. Now, uh, where were you tonight around eight? Eight to... Why, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yes, it must have been just about eight when I stopped in the Commodore to see a friend. What was his name? Uh, Mr. Silver. Well, you know, funny thing, he wasn't registered there. I'd be missing Palm. You can prove that? Of course. Yes, I thoughtlessly parked in a red zone outside the hotel and got a ticket. There it is on the table. Uh-huh. I see. Uh, this proves your car was there. What about you? Well, 
The desk clerk will remember me, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see about that. In the meantime, you'd better come along with me easily. If what you say checks, you'll probably be okay. If not, you might be held on suspicion of murder. So far, so good. Just what you expected, wasn't it, Albert? The detective takes a look at your suits before you go, questions you as to what you had on. You can't remember one of those in there. So no matter what Parker was wearing, it'll check. Then down at headquarters, you parry all the questions and insist that the desk clerk be brought in to identify you. Finally, he is. Okay. Now, this is Mr. Arnold, the clerk who was on duty at the Hotel Commodore at 8 o'clock this evening. Now, uh, do you recognize this man, Mr. Arnold? No, I, I never saw him before. Don't you remember? I came in and asked you for Mr. Silver tonight at 8. Nobody resembling you came in tonight and asked for Mr. Silver. Sure, I'd remember that, but no one did. Huh? Oh, you... You you must be mistaken. No, I'm sure I'm not. I've never seen this man or anyone who looks like him. In a moment, the whistler will be back to tell you what really happened to the perfect alibi. Meantime, I'd like to pass along some facts I just found out on the battery situation. Did you know that last winter, so many batteries needed replacing, the demand for new batteries actually exceeded the supply by 25%? Yes, and this year, the demand is likely to be even greater. All cars are a year older, and ration driving is tough on batteries. What's more... With our motorized armies advancing at full speed, the military's demand for batteries will reach an all-time high. Now, I'm no crystal gazer, so I can't predict whether this winter's supply of batteries will be enough to go around. But I do know that your neighborhood signal gasoline dealer has just received a fresh stock of top-quality batteries built to signal's rigid specifications for longer service. Batteries so fine... They're fully guaranteed up to two years. In my way of thinking, that makes right now the time to have your neighborhood signal gasoline dealer inspect your battery. Then, if you need a new one, you can be sure of getting one of those guaranteed quality signal deluxe batteries. And now, back to the whistler. And so Albert Easley wasn't as smart as he thought he was. The perfect alibi blew up somehow. And now he's going to stand trial for the murder of Sammy Copeland. Sitting in his cell, going over every detail, he can't figure out what happened, what could have gone wrong. He has only one satisfaction now. At least he outsmarted Sammy. He got Sammy before the kid could get him. Or did he? You see, Albert, that's the part you don't know about. That's why your alibi failed you. Because Sammy did get you first. When you shot him at 8 o'clock, you interrupted his celebration of your death. Yours, Albert. Only it wasn't yours at all. The police might have told you that they found the body of a man that night. A man who looked enough like you to have been your twin brother. His name was Parker, 
Bill Parker. And your mistake was in not realizing that if you accidentally ran across him, Sammy might too. Only Sammy didn't look too closely. He simply unloaded that rod of his. And that's why your alibi didn't show up. Yes, you were pretty smart, Albert. But sometimes the smart ones have to pay off, too. And Sammy got you after all. Monday at 9 o'clock, the Signal Oil program will bring you another strange tale by the Whistler. The Signal Oil program is broadcast for your entertainment by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal's famous go-farther gasoline and motor oil, and by your neighborhood Signal Oil dealer, who is at your service daily to keep your car running for the duration. The Signal Oil program, directed by George W. Allen, with story by John Everett Hudson and music by Wilbur Hatch is transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. Bill Pennell speaking for your friend, the Signal Oil Company, and suggesting once again that you let every go signal remind you that you do go farther with Signal Gasoline. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Roma Wines presents Suspense. Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Salud. Your health, senor. Roma Wines toast the world. The wine for your table is Roma Wine, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is the Man in Black, here for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California, to introduce this weekly half hour of Suspense. Night from Hollywood, Roma Wines bring you the Paramount star currently being seen in Miracle of Morgan's Creek, Mr. Eddie Bracken. Mr. Bracken appears tonight not as the exponent of comedy, as which he is so deservedly noted, but as a boy over whose head hung dark clouds of suspicion and who was involved in a particularly heartless crime. And so with The Visitor and with the performance of Eddie Bracken as a young man who called himself Bud Owen, we again hope to keep you in suspense. Hamburger steak, well done. Bring right, a cat or a crisp. Right it was around Hold two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. I was right in my usual groove, counting at Al's Coffee Pot, Route 22 out of Baltimore. Not a bad job for a green guy, 18 bucks a week and my meals. But I was aiming to be a short-order cook when I really got the hang of things. Of course, I'd only been in the diner a couple of months. Well, as I say, it was the usual afternoon, not especially busy, but busy enough. 
No kidding, Mac. Where's that Westerman? Here you are. What'll you have, mister? Come on, Ryan, a cup of coffee. Coming right up. Come on, Ryan, draw one. Look, uh, kid, I'd like to talk to you. Yeah, what about? Can we get a minute? I guess so. Hey, yeah, I'll take the counter, will you? I'm gonna have some coffee. Okay. So what's on your mind, mister? I'm looking for someone. Yeah? Your name wouldn't be Bud Owen, would it? They call me Bill Duncan around here. That's not what I asked. So? I'm looking for a boy named Bud Owen. Well, what about him? Disappeared from his home about three years ago. A boy from my town. He'd be about your age now, about 18? 17. That's it. Well, his folks have been worried sick about him. Everyone else gave him up for dead. Then I heard you were working here, Bud. Yeah? Who told you? No one told me. I got a note, anonymous. You didn't write it, did you? No, I didn't write it. You know, I think I'd have recognized you anyway. You're a lot taller, of course, and you look older. Yeah, well, anyone would, wouldn't they? <laughs> Same ears, though. <laughs> I call them wings. That's a good one. <laughs> know who I am, of course. Mac Burrow. Used to be chief of police. Oh, pleased to meet you again, Mr. Burrow. Well, well. Bad Owen. A lot of know-it-alls are sure going to be surprised. Surprised? At what? Why, to see you. Edgerton is certain to a man that you're feeding fishes off White's Pier. And when they see you, boy, I can't wait. Look, Mr. Burrell, just what is your proposition? Why, bud, I want you to come home again with me. Oh? Of course, things have changed some in three years, but not too much. If you take it easy, if you have a friend to help you over the rough spots... You'll feel right back at home in no time. I see. This way, you're depriving yourself of everything a boy could want. Good home, lovely parents. Yeah, wealthy parents. You make it sound kind of nice at that, Mr. Burrow. And, Bud, did you know that your father has offered a $10,000 reward for anyone who finds you? No, no, I didn't know that. Don't you think you ought to come home, Bud? Maybe I should. And think of your folks. Think how your poor mother suffered. Yeah. Think how happy it'd make him. Well, Mr. Burlap, if you really think it'll be all right. Why, sure it will. It may be a little tough at first, all the excitement, people staring at you, but that won't last long. You gotta expect some excitement. Oh, I suppose it wasn't a bad having a hometown boy drowned. Drowned, boy? They thought you were murdered. <laughs> And so began the series of events which were to bring a boy called Bud Owen back to Edgerton to take up a new life with the family which had believed him dead for three years. Tonight for Suspense, Roma Wines present Eddie Bracken, whom you have heard in the prologue to The Visitor by Carl Randall and Leon Zugsmith. Tonight's tale of Suspense. <laughs> In this brief intermission in the play, let's imagine ourselves for a moment in a flower-garlanded Bermuda, seated on the terrace of the exclusive Coral Beach and Tennis Club. At the next table, a party of Bermudians and Americans are taking turns, each paying compliments to the delights of the other's native land. An American has just praised the famed flowers of Bermuda. Then a Bermudian tops him with this. Among great American delights, he says, one of my favorites is right here on our table. It is this splendid wine we are all enjoying. Bermuda imports it from the justly renowned wine districts of California. 
It is your internationally esteemed Roma wine. Yes, and Americans themselves have certainly not overlooked the great and enjoyable qualities of these fine Roma wines. Proof is, Roma wines are America's largest selling wines. Such outstanding popularity must mean here are wines that are more taste-delighting, more satisfying in their richness and fine wine quality. Yet with all that as your reward for specifying Roma wines, you'll be amazed and delighted to hear your dealer say, Roma wines cost only pennies a glass. That's because here in America you pay no high import duty or long voyage shipping charges for these fine Roma California wines. Don't fail to enjoy Roma wines. R-O-M-A, Roma, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now it is with pleasure that we bring back to our soundstage our star, Eddie Bracken, as Bud Owen in The Visitor. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. After I talked to Mr. Burrell for an hour or so, the whole thing sounded pretty darn good. I quit my job at Al's Coffee Pot the next afternoon and met Mr. Burrell at the station. We took the five o'clock train for Edgerton. On the way, Mr. Burrell gave me the lowdown on what had been going on in the town for three years. How the town thought I was murdered and how my, uh, my mother and David Cunningham, my, my stepfather, just wouldn't give up hope that I was still alive. And he told me how my mother hadn't changed anything in my room. She was so sure I'd come back. Although she bought new stuff for the rest of the house, new rugs and a couch, things like that, Mr. Burrell described it so plain I could almost see it. Well, by the time we got to Edgerton, I was feeling pretty sad for my mother. And when I stood on the dark front porch with Mr. Burrell, it was a peach of a warm summer night. I, I thought if I could make her happy, even if it was tough on me, it was worth, well, it was worth a try. Brace yourself, youngster. This is it. Yeah, sure. I, I'm okay, Mr. Burrell. You borrow? Yeah, and here's Bud. Hello. Bud. Hello, Father. Come in, come in, Bud. Here, let me have your suitcase. Is your mother, Bud? Bud. Hello, Mother. Oh, I... Bud. Uh, this time it's really Bud, Judith. He's come back to oh, us. Oh, Bud. Bud. It's all right, Judith. Oh, my big baby. Why? You're so tall, I can hardly kiss you. Oh, well, now, come, Judith. Let's, uh, let's go into the living room. Come along, Burl. Oh, I always knew I'd be silly when you came back. Here, let me push your hair down. Oh, I... Now you look more like my bud. Gosh, I wouldn't have recognized this room. Is, isn't that couch new? Mm-hmm. And the rugs and drapes. Uh, I don't know how we'll ever be able to thank you, Burl. Well, I see. And Judith's so happy as... Uh... Reward enough. <laughs> oh, yes, that reminds me. Drop into my office tomorrow, Burl, and I'll take care of that other, more tangible reward. Uh, Mother, I, uh, I don't know how to begin. I mean, I mean to tell you how sorry... Oh, don't tell me anything, darling. Nothing matters except that you're back. That's the spirit, Judith. Only your, your right hand, Bud, it's all bandaged. Oh, that's nothing. I, I burned it while working in the diner. It's nothing, Mother. Oh. Well, folks, it's been a long day for an old man. I guess I'll run along. Right away, Mr. Burrow? Well, you, you just got here. You'll be seeing plenty of me, Bud. Uh, right now, though, you should want to be getting acquainted with your folks again. Yeah. I'll see you tomorrow, Dave. Good night. Good night. Good night. 
Well, have you noticed, Judith, how deep Bud's voice is now? (laughs) Yes, it was just a little pipe when he left. But it was beginning to break, wasn't it, Bud? Gosh, I guess so. It must have sounded pretty awful. And he (laughs) shaved, David. (laughs) Every day, Snooky. Well, gosh, now, quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Really, David, I don't think that's so funny. Well, oh. Oh, that sounds like Ellen. Isn't that nice? Let her in, David. Uh, Ellen Woods... Why, who else, Bud? Uh, does she uh, uh, live next door? Why, of course, Bud. The woods have always lived there. Uh, hello, Ellen. Ellen, here we have such a surprise. Angel, it's simply fabulous. Let me kiss you, you love. <laughs> <laughs> take it easy. Well, Bud, you're gigantic, irregular beanpole. Oh, but I, I can't wait for Joe to see you. Joe? I called him as soon as I heard he's coming over here. It's all right, Mrs. Cunningham. Oh, of course, Ellen. I'd forgotten. It'll mean so much to Joe. You know about Joe, Bud. Oh, oh yes. Mr. Burrow told me. I, I, I didn't know before. Yes, this town's going to have a lot to make up to that young man. My folks wouldn't let me see Joe, Bud. Yeah? Well, naturally, they thought, after all, Joe was the last person who saw you. And then he, well, he admitted you'd quarreled. But your mother and I never had a moment's doubt, Bud. I'm thankful for that. Oh, that's Joe now. Joe, it's true. Bud's here. Well, I went the phone. I ran all the way. She said... You. Yeah, Joe, it's... It's me. Yeah. Guess it is. Well, pal, I, uh, I hear I owe you an apology or something. <laughs> Skip it, pal. Joe, we know how hard it's been for you. Only now it's over. Well, it didn't matter, Mrs. Cunningham. I... Learn to put up with a lot. Yeah, well, <clears throat> Judith, here, uh, let's go upstairs. Let's give the young folks a chance to be by themselves. Well, all right, David. But, but don't stay up too long, no. bud. You still need lots of sleep. No, I won't, Mother. And, and don't forget to turn off the light. No. Good night, children. Good night, Miss Cunningham. Good night, Mr. Cunningham. Well, what'll we do? Cut a rug at you the fat. Suit yourself. Joe, don't talk that way to Bud. He might remember he's my friend. He certainly was yours. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he was. Look, Joe, I can see how you saw it at me, but don't take it out on Ellen. Kindly don't stop messing between Ellen and me. Joe, please. Okay. Do I have to make a speech? So you're home now, bud. I'm the last one to kick, but when you toss it all off by saying you owe me an apology or something, maybe it's not easy to remember we were friends. I I didn't know what to say. I know I tried to remember we were friends, and the whole town was sure I killed you. I tried to remember it when the draft board listed me as undesirable because they thought I was guilty. I even tried to remember we were friends when for three years people crossed the street so they wouldn't have to speak to me. People got up and walked out of the room when I came in and then... Gosh, Joe, I... I I didn't realize that. I am sorry, Joe, honest. Um, now now listen, Joe. You should be the first one to walk around the town with Bud. Right tomorrow morning. And if you'd both like it, why, I'll go with you. Well, it's all right with Bud. Why is it? Boy, I'm gonna need company. Then it's a date. Okay, I... No kidding, but I'm glad you're home, fella. No hot feelings? Oh, gosh, no, Joe. So long, bud. Bye, bud. So long. Bud? Yes, um, uh, mother? Are you coming up to bed now, dear? Uh, why, yeah, I might just as well. You know, bud, I've been thinking the funniest thing. What? Uh, what? What's that, mother? Do you realize you never even asked about Trixie? Trixie? Oh, uh, that's right, I, I didn't. After all, she was your dog. Oh. <laughs> you know what they say about a boy and his dog. Poor thing, when you didn't come back, she just wandered off. Gee, that's tough, all right. And you didn't even ask about her. 
But I guess you can't be expected to remember everything. No, I... I, I guess I can't remember everything. My mother kissed me goodnight. I went upstairs to my room and it was just like Mr. Burrow told me it would be. Everything seemed to have gone all right so far. I undressed and turned out the lights, but before I got into bed, I... I locked the door just in case. Gosh, I guess I'm late for breakfast. That's all right, darling. We know you needed to sleep. Sit right in your old place, bud. Yeah, uh, uh, sure. Well, your mother and I have been mooning over old pictures of you, son. <laughs> bud, except for the ears and something around the eyes, you've changed so that I can hardly recognize you. <laughs> Look, here's the last picture before you went away. Why, it, it's almost frightening the way you've grown. Well, Judith, dear, you wouldn't want the boy to be a midget, would you? Well, sure, he's taller, but look at the hair there and the way he stands. I sure was a goon, boy. You should have been glad to get rid of me. And look, Bud, <laughs> what else I found. All your school compositions from the first grade on. Here's one you wrote on Alexander the Great. Ouch, Mother, don't be careless with those things. I'll die of blushing. Why, Bud, I think this was very good for your oh. age. You were barely 14 when you wrote it. See, it's marked B, so it can't be so terrible. Well, your least little scribble is a great thing to your mother. Well, I'd better get off to the office. Drop in to see me if you have time, Bud. Why, sure, uh, Father, I'll do that. Bye, Judith, honey. I'll be home for dinner. Goodbye, David. Now, how about some hot coffee, Bud? Yes, thanks. There, Snooky. But there's something important I want to discuss with you. It's about my will. Your... your will? Well, you know how your father, well, David, was about my money, Bud. He never wanted to touch it or even to have me put him in my will. He's so proud about things like that, and I do have so much more than he ever will. Sure, I, uh, uh, I remember. Uh, how much money is it anyway? Uh, uh... Well, you know, Bud, there's about $150,000 your grandfather left. Yeah. Then there are those four houses on Elm Street that Aunt Carolyn left and the income from them. I haven't used any of it, so it amounts to quite a lot by now. Gosh, yes, it must at that. Well, after you left, even though David didn't want me to, I changed the will, leaving everything to him. Why, sure, that sounds fine to me. But now that you're back, I think the best thing would be to just turn it all over to you now. Set up a trust fund. You could use the income when you start to college, and later maybe you'll want to set yourself up in some kind of business. But, uh, and I know it will please David. But, Mother, gee whiz, it's, uh, it's swell of you, but don't you think you should wait? Wait? For what, darling? Well, uh, until you know me better. I what? mean, uh, gosh, I, I, I wouldn't know what to do with all that money, and uh, I... Might mess things up. Why, silly, the bank takes care of everything. It always has for me. Now, all you have to do is sign these papers here. I sign them? I, I, uh, but I can't, Mother. You see my hand, the bandage. Oh, isn't that a shame? Yes, I, I forgot that you couldn't write. Yeah, well, it, well, it'll be all right in a couple of days, so I, I can take the bandage off then. Oh, somebody's whistling for you, bud. My, that sounds like old times. It's Ellen and Joe. They're going to take me around and show me the town. Well, I guess I have to face the music. Oh, you know you love it. You're going to be a regular hero. Yeah, but I, I don't feel much like a hero now. Oh, I thought Ellen, wait. Now 
you're in for it, Bud. Oh, Bud, you're really real and you've grown, but divine. Hey, hey, you're choking me. Oh, I've just been telling everybody you're back. It's too sensational. It's like having a new boy in town, and do we need some? Gosh, I, I, I shouldn't think you'd have any trouble. Why, you're cuter than ever. Oh, listen to him. He's got a line. Gee, he sends me. Is that something? <laughs> <laughs> the best thing you ever called her before was buzzard egg. <laughs> well, Gosh, I, I called her something beside that once in a while. Well, you did call her Mary Louise. Well, of course I called her that. Gee, it's, uh, it's swell to see you, Mary Louise. Well, well, Bud Owen, you bad boy. Are you going to recognize me or aren't you? Sure, gee, it's, it's good to see you. Uh, how, how are you anyway? Now, you're not too grown up to kiss old Mrs. Callahan the way you always did. Oh, I'll say I'm not, Mrs. Callahan. Here. Why? I heated enough bottles for you and washed enough of your diapers, too, so don't let me catch you putting on airs. No, ma'am, I won't. Goodbye. Goodbye. What's the matter? Didn't you recognize her? Mrs. Callahan? Oh, of course I did. Why didn't you call her what you always used to? Couldn't you see she was sore? Well, I, uh, I did. Bud, you used to call her Aunt Seely. it, but I daren't refute the evidence of my senses. It's the Owen boy, Bud Owen. Well, I'm glad <laughs> to see you, sir. I just saw your mother. Heard you were back. She told me she was bringing you down to my office in a day or two. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, she told me. Ah, uh, your mother's one in a million, young man. She thinks only of your welfare. I hope you've learned to appreciate her. Yes, sir, I have. Uh, well, I just want to check on the news. And no nonsense, my boy. You do as your mother says. What did he mean, no nonsense? Don't you know? Well, I, I guess so. Mother told me she uh, she was going to take me down to the lawyer's office this morning. Oh, and... Bud. I've been waiting for you to outsmart yourself, and this is it. I uh, I don't get it. You sure don't, Bud. Give him a chance, Joe. Because it so happens that's not Mr. Reedy, the lawyer, but Dr. Sterling, the dentist. I talked fast, and Ellen took my side. And when we got Joe calmed down... I knew he was going to watch me like a hawk from then on. That afternoon, Ellen got the real snazzy idea of going to the beach. My father knocked off work and drove us down, sort of to celebrate my homecoming. It was really a hot day, so when we got there, the others made a beeline for the water, but I didn't because of my bandaged hand. I stayed around the beach club near the pool. When it began to get dark, we all dressed and went down to White's restaurant for seafood dinner. Then we walked out on the pier the same pier where I was supposed to have been murdered. I remember I said something about taking the body back to where X marks the spot, and everybody laughed. Isn't it heavenly out here? Oh, gee, this breeze is swell. Well, bud, looks like you and Joe are right back where you were three years ago. Yeah, I guess so, Father. Yeah, this railing is just where we stood, isn't it? When you and I had our fight. Yeah, uh, about. What's that phobia people have looking down from tall buildings? I get it looking down at the water from up here. Oh, you shouldn't worry, Ellen. You swim like a fish. Now, me, I I should really feel funny. You about ready to go home, children? I don't want you to worry you. All right, Mr. Cunningham. It's been such a heavenly day. Bud, wait a minute. Come on, Joe. Wait, a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Wait a Joe, Ellen and Father. Only take a minute. First, about you not being able to swim. But, Joe, you knew about that. I never learned. That was why... Sure. Everybody knew Bud Owen couldn't swim. That was why when you disappeared, they thought I'd pushed you off the pier and you drowned. Joe, I don't get it. 
Can't you let bygones be bygones? But Owen couldn't swim. But this afternoon, when you thought we were all at a good, safe distance, I walked up the beach club looking for you, and I saw you swimming in the pool. But, but I learned... And your bandage was off. Well, start talking. Or do I have to do the talking to the cops? Listen, Joe, you gotta wait. You gotta give me time. Now, don't get me wrong. No one in this town would be gladder to have Bud Owen come back than me. After all, I've taken plenty because he disappeared, but... Rather than let Mrs. Cunningham be fooled, That's I... what I mean, Joe. You gotta give me time to square things. Just a little time. You better move fast, brother. Joe, no matter what you think, you know I... I haven't hurt anybody. No, not yet. And if you give me time, nobody will be hurt. <laughs> I went to Mr. Burrow the next morning and talked about everything, how people were beginning to make cracks about him and the $10,000 reward and the whole mess. I knew things were moving awfully fast, and I told Mr. Burrow he had to help me. That night when she'd finished her coffee, my mother said she was awfully tired, and my father, David, saw her upstairs to bed. I looked out the window, and I saw Mr. Burrow's car pull up to the curb in front of Ellen's house. I knew he was going to do everything he could, but by this time I... I was scared. Well, at bedtime, my stepfather fixed some sandwiches and we drank some milk. Then he came up to my room with me and we sat down to talk. Well, I see your mother's been changing your room around. It's not bad. I guess women like to fuss around and so forth. That's a fact. And there's no use opposing them. I guess that's right. By the way, what's your real name? Bud Owen. You don't need to be afraid of me. I've protected you so far. Why have you? I asked you first. What's your real name? Bud Owen. You're stubborn, aren't you? You know, at first I thought you'd work this little scheme out all by yourself or with Burl. But there's someone else involved, isn't there? Who do you think? What about that bandage? Well... Take it off. Well, well, well. Not even a scar. I don't suppose you'd mind writing with it now that it's healed. No, I I don't mind. What shall I write? Well, suppose we take this little composition of yours on Alexander the Great. Would you copy this sentence, uh, say, on the top of page three? Sure. Why not? Yeah, and uh, to make it a fair comparison, write your name, Bud Owen. Bud Owen. Here you are. So she taught you Bud's handwriting, too. Who did? My wife. Do you think I didn't know what was going on? Every move she made gave her away. Why is she in such a rush to change her will? I don't know. Why? She thought she was being so smart trying to pass you off, trying to trap me. But I was one person who knew you weren't Bud. Yeah, but what makes you so sure I'm not Bud? I know. Isn't that enough? I see. I know. I see. Well, don't you think we'd uh, better get my, my mother in on this? Yes. Yes, I... Think perhaps we'd better. She's asleep. We'll have to wake her. Mother. Mother. Hey, she's... She's... Mother! Mother! When I came to, I had an awful pain in the head. I was in my room in bed, and Ellen and Joe and Mr. Burrell were there. For a minute, I didn't know what had happened, and then I remembered. Mother. Where's my mother? She's all right, bud. She's in the hospital. He gave her enough of those sleeping pills to kill a horse, but she's all right now. How do you feel, Bud? Oh, all right, I guess. Oh, it's a good thing you had us standing by tonight, son. Why, he had you trussed up like a turkey. 
He was going to hang us. Gee, Mr. Burley must have been crazy. I guess he wanted to get us both out of the way before Mother could change that will. For crying out loud, but why didn't you let me in on this? I thought Gee, that... I hated to do it, Joe, honest. But I had to. Someone had to be the guinea pig. It was my idea, Joe. I sent the note to Mr. Burl. I really found Bud in that hash house. Yeah, but if you let me in on we it, We knew I... if Bud could fool you. If you thought he was a phony, he could fool everybody, even David Cunningham. You see, Joe, for three years I suspected that guy. He pushed me off the pier that night, but... I was only a kid. I knew it would be just his word against mine, so I, I ran away. I kept putting off coming home, but I, I swore that someday I'd trap him, and tonight I did. Because he said he knew I wasn't Bud Owen, I knew that he thought he'd kill me. You took one whale of a chance tonight, Bud. He'd framed you pretty. Another half hour, and we'd have found your mother dead. You strung up in that suicide note you wrote, propped up on the dresser. Kid. A suicide note? Why, I just copied a sentence out of an old composition, something about uh, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great? Listen to this. It is a terrible, it is terrible what awful crimes are done for greed and ambition. Signed, Bud Owen. Sure, you see? I was just writing... What? And I signed that? Holy... Well, that's about all. I didn't know how my mother would take it, having my stepfather turn out to be such a heel, but once she got over the dope he'd slept her, she was fine, as happy as a lock over me. Joe and Ellen, they got married but quick, and now Joe's in the Marines, and me, I'm just passing the time here in Edgerton till I'm 18 and my number comes up, and then maybe I'll see a little excitement. (laughs) 